This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Macro Viewpoint from HSBC Global Research, our weekly podcast featuring the views of leading HSBC analysts on the outlook for the global economy and markets. I'm Piers Butler. Coming up this week, world goods trade continues to recover. But could this be masking some underlying issues? We speak to Shanella Rajanayagam, trade economist. Mark McDonnell, head of data science and analytics, explains how we have used natural language processing analysis to investigate what companies are saying about inflationary pressures on earnings calls. And Fabio Balboni, senior European economist, brings us up to speed on the latest COVID-19 situation across the continent and what he's expecting from the ECB's June meeting. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, the 27th of May, 2021. Our full disclosures and disclaimers can be found in the link attached to this podcast. We begin this week with a focus on trade, where Shanella Rajanayagam, trade economist, has been assessing the latest monthly trends. She joins me now. Shanella, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Piers. So in this second edition of your trade tracker, there's lots of really interesting data which I wanted to talk to you about. Firstly, the US consumer appears to be powering ahead in terms of recovery. What impact is that having on global trade? Yeah, that's right. So despite all this ongoing trade turbulence, despite uh, ongoing shipping disruption, uh, trade into the US remains quite strong. Uh, In fact, the US trade deficit reached a record high in March 2021, uh, as US consumers continue to buy up foreign goods. And this was largely on the back of these fiscal stimulus measures. Uh, Now, US imports of consumer goods, which includes things like apparel, furniture, uh, household appliances, that was actually up 38% year on year uh, in March uh, this year. So really strong numbers there. And this is all helping to support the broader global goods trade recovery. Uh, So demand for consumer goods does remain quite strong from Western economies, uh, and that's helping to spur uh, export flows from Asia. Now, we talk a lot about post-pandemic recovery, but I wanted to actually focus on post-Brexit and the UK. What are the trade numbers there? Well, UK-EU trade does remain quite weak still. Uh, Now, we did have, at the end of the transition period, there was a lot of stockpiling, uh, so that could kind of muddy the numbers somewhat. Uh, But notwithstanding this, uh, EU imports from the UK in the first quarter of this year uh, still remain well down on pre-pandemic levels. Uh, There are some signs that UK exports have started to recover since January, uh, perhaps as some of those stocks start to unwind. Uh, But still, uh, on the import side, uh, the UK did import more from non-EU markets compared to from the EU uh, in the first quarter. So still a quite weak trade there. Now, we've all heard about the shortage of semiconductor chips, and it does look from your numbers as if some people are benefiting from that shortage and others are suffering. Can you give us a bit more on that? That's right. So semiconductors do remain in hot demand at the moment, uh, helping to support uh, Asian export flows. Uh, So for example, Taiwan's exports of semiconductors to other Asian partners, such as mainland China, Korea, Japan, uh, was actually up in the first four months of this year, not only compared to last year, but compared to the same period in 2019. 
But on the other hand, the chip crunch is affecting trade in other industries. So for instance, Mexican car exports uh, remain quite weak. It was down nearly 17% uh, in the first quarter of this year, uh, reflecting in part the chip shortage, but also affecting Mexico's autos import share in the US. And finally, Shanella, can you comment on COVID and the situation in India? Sure. So as we've written about before, uh, trade in vaccines is very important, but it does remain quite unbalanced. Uh, So there's a lot of reliance on a small number of vaccine producers and markets, and India being uh, one of them. Now, given the COVID situation in India, uh, India's exports of COVID-19 vaccines have slowed right down as the economy rushes to vaccinate its own population. Now, the issue is that these vaccine exports are only expected to resume uh, towards the end of the year, which could really hinder rollouts in other developing markets, uh, because, as I mentioned, India was said to be a large supplier of vaccines to the COVAX initiative. Shanella, thank you very much. Thanks, Piers. Inflation has been a huge focus for investors recently. And this week, our data science team has been using natural language processing, or NLP, to analyze what companies have been saying about it on earnings calls. Mark McDonald is head of data science and analytics. Mark, welcome to the podcast. So Mark, what did your analysis on inflation find? Well, you're right, it, it is the key topic at the moment. And there's been lots of, uh, lots of discussion about the prospect of an inflationary spiral, which is why we looked at this in the first place, because if inflation is becoming a bigger concern, then you would expect to see it being spoken about a lot more. On earnings calls. What we find is that, you know, if you just look at inflation from the perspective of people using that specific word, then this is being spoken about more frequently than at any time uh, previously in our database, uh, which sounds quite scary. But obviously, the specific word inflation is just one of many ways uh, that company management can talk about inflationary pressures. You know, they can mention prices going up or costs going up or wage pressures. And when you broaden out the search to look at this uh, more full definition of inflation, then what you find is that, yes, companies are talking more about inflation, but it's not at extreme levels compared to its own history. Are there any variations between regions and sectors? Yes, well, this is, uh, this is quite interesting. So if you look at regional level, then what we see is you know, within developed markets, there's not a great difference uh, from one region to another. But within emerging markets, there is where we see uh, CMEO and LATAM have uh, been discussing this at higher frequency than in Asia. However, uh, this is probably more a result of sectoral differences between uh, different regions. Uh, what we find when we look at the sector level is that actually discussions of inflation are very concentrated within specific sectors. So if we look at sectors such as basic materials, then we see that they've been talking about it a lot more than usual. Whereas if uh, we look at some sectors like tech, uh, you know, tech throughout our entire history hasn't really spoken much about inflation. And there are some sectors such as utilities, which are actually discussing it less frequently now uh, than, they, than they have been uh, in history. And all of this kind of points to a, a bit more of a, a benign uh, inflation environment, because it's hard to imagine a a true inflationary spiral when inflationary pressures are so concentrated within specific sectors. So what are companies actually saying? So on the inflation side, you know, there are lots of discussions about strong demand and pent-up demand, uh, but equally there are definitely uh, contributions to this discussion coming from the supply side. So there's been lots more discussion of supply chains, 
uh, and a, a very sharp spike in discussions of shortages. Again, though, these discussions of shortages are, are very concentrated within specific sectors. Um, and a lot of the discussions, they're, they're really about the, uh, the issues with the semiconductor chip shortages that we're having at the moment. What impact has the increased focus on inflation had on the sentiment of earnings calls this quarter? Um, well, less than you might, might expect. So if we, if we look at regional level, then you can see that the, the sentiment um, in US earnings calls is still very, very high. Uh, we see more of an influence when we look at the, the sector level. Uh, most notably, uh, you see that the technology sector, which has for a long time been um, the most positive sector uh, when it comes to uh, sentiment, when they're speaking about the future, uh, that sentiment now is lower than it was a quarter ago. And again, when we look at the terms that have been like key trending terms within tech earnings calls, we do see lots of um, mentions of supply constraints and this whole issue with semiconductor chips. I think that is beginning to weigh on sentiment from the tech sector. You've also updated your predictive machine learning models. Is there anything you'd like to highlight? Uh, yes, in Data Matters, we, uh, we always update uh, many of our models. I think the uh, one that people are focusing on a lot at the moment is the predicting pullbacks models. These are models that give tactical one-month signals for, for equity markets. The probability of uh, pullback um, from, from most indicators there has ticked up slightly in the last couple of weeks, but it's still below 50%. Uh, so most of the models are showing a relatively moderate risk of, of pullbacks. Uh, the, the main things pushing the, the predictions higher is often developments in the bond market. Uh, and the main things pushing the predictions lower uh, is the fact that economic data, for the most part, has been coming in better than expected in, uh, in most regions recently. Mark, that's a great summary. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for having me on. Let's finish up this week with an update on the COVID-19 situation here in Europe. Fabio Balboni is our senior European economist, and he joins us now. Fabio, what's the latest on infection rates and restrictions? So infection rates are continuing to come down pretty much across the board, and that's despite countries having uh, loosened the restriction. So uh, that uh, is uh, good news uh, in terms of the ability of countries to continue to lose a restriction in the, the futures. Uh, and indeed, uh, uh, so far, countries remain on track in terms of their pledges to loosen uh, uh, some of the uh, remaining lockdowns uh, uh, in the coming uh, month. However, we've had uh, uh, some increasing concerns, particularly in the UK, for the Indian variant of uh, the COVID-19 virus, which is becoming uh, uh, more prevalent. And uh, uh, that could potentially uh, lead to the timeline being pushed further out in terms of lifting uh, uh, the restrictions in the UK. And we've also seen uh, uh, other countries uh, in Europe, uh, uh, most notably Germany and uh, France, uh, earlier this week, uh, imposing a quarantine requirement on uh, travellers uh, from the UK. So that potentially could be a bit of a setback uh, from also the perspective of uh, reopening opening uh, the economies uh, for tourism. The good news, however, is that a study has shown that uh, the, there is still a high efficacy of uh, uh, the vaccines uh, against the India variant of the virus, uh, particularly after two shots. What's the latest economic data showing us? 
Yeah, well, data reflect pretty much that increasing optimism among uh, uh, households and firms uh, about uh, the prospect for uh, economic recovery as restrictions are being lifted. So we've seen uh, incredibly strong retail sales in the UK, for example, in April, plus uh, 9.2% month on month. We've seen a, a very good uh, service uh, across the Eurozone, really, from the PMIs uh, to the domestic business service uh, in France and Germany, uh, in some cases even reaching a higher level than before the crisis, and in some cases, the PMI is even all-time high. So clearly, there is a lot of optimism uh, among firms uh, about the prospect for uh, reopening the economy and activity levels uh, increasing, and particularly in the services sector, which so far has been lacking behind. And when we look at the consumer side, again, consumer confidence has been picking up, and that bodes well uh, with the possibility of uh, uh, households winding down some of the excess savings accumulated the last year, particularly considering that some of the unemployment fears are also receding. So with infection rates coming down and restrictions gradually being lifted, are government support measures going to be wound down? Well, this remains the biggest challenge going forward uh, for Europe. Uh, so far, most of the uh, emergency measures have been uh, rolled over, but in the coming month, uh, some are due to expire. Uh, and indeed, uh, for example, in Italy, after very heated discussion uh, among uh, the government parties, uh, uh, the Prime Minister has confirmed that the emergency short-term work schemes uh, uh, will be run down uh, uh, from the end of July for the manufacturing and the construction sector and uh, at the end of October for the rest of the economy. So that potentially could pose some challenges, particularly considering that uh, uh, in the latest uh, uh, data available, which is April, uh, there were still more than 200 million hours used under the schemes. So winding down those schemes could create some uh, social tensions uh, or alternatively uh, could push the government into further uh, extension. We could uh, uh, have negative implication in terms of uh, uh, fiscal deficits, of course. Uh, and similarly, in Spain, uh, we've seen that the government so far hasn't been able to strike a deal uh, between uh, uh, the trade unions uh, and uh, the firms uh, in terms of extending uh, the, the short-term work compensation schemes beyond the current deadline of the 31st of March. So clearly, this remains the key policy challenge going forward, how to wound down some of those policy support measures and particularly how to time them to prevent potentially nipping a recovery in the bud. Let's finish by looking ahead to the ECB's June meeting. The debate around the potential tapering of asset purchases is hotting up. What's your view? Well, this is a very has been a very important uh, week for the ECB because uh, we had seen all the way through last week uh, uh, increasing uh, uh, market expectation for a possible early tapering uh, of uh, uh, the pandemic emergency purchase program but without too much of a pushback from uh, the ECB. And that uh, led to a significant tightening of finance and condition, which is what the ECB wanted to prevent. We've seen rising yields, uh, uh, rising periphery bond spread. Uh, but this year... Uh, the ECB has started uh, a little bit more of a pushback, uh, and in particular, uh, board member Fabio Panetta highlighted the importance of not withdrawing policy stimulus too early. And that's in line with uh, uh, our view, which we have reiterated in our uh, ECB preview this week, uh, where we do not expect any tapering of PEP in June. Uh, we think that uh, uh, tapering later in the year uh, is uh, uh, potentially much uh, better in terms of reducing the volatility risk on financial markets uh, and uh, uh, reducing, therefore, the risk of an unwarranted tightening of financial conditions. Fabio, thanks very much.
Thank you very much. So that's it for another week. Thank you to our guests, Shanana Rajanayagam, Mark McDonald, and Fabio Balboni. And thank you to all of you for listening to today's podcast. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast, or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.